the EU just really, really dislikes Facebook and the gathering of information and the way it does it, et cetera, et cetera. That said, that plus Apple and the iPhones move to say, hey, do you want to be tracked by Facebook? And we can say no, uh, was really supposed to be the death knell to Facebook and Meta. And remember, at the start of the year, the stock traded about 200% lower than it is now. I mean, it was about 90 bucks a year. It recently went over 300. Uh, so Meta is dealing with this and still making a lot of cash, which is impressive. I, I don't know. I thought it was going to be fatal, and it turned out to be like a speed bump. Yeah, I guess the, the size of this thing is just that big, and the EU is not. I mean, I don't know. I'm just surprised because there are so many users over there. Maybe Meta is compromising and saying, okay, we'll ask your permission, but we're still going to then take your stuff. I, I just don't know, but advertisers still seem to be happy being on Facebook and Instagram. And remember, they're not happy. They haven't been for a while on Twitter. So maybe Facebook is positioning itself as the game in town other than TikTok and saying, hey, there's only so many online strong places to put your ads right now. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, August 4th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone. I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman of NBC Bay Area, who you all know well. My, our producer is Jordan Henderson. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove, and our host is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, Scott, this has been a weird week. I mean, we're getting mixed signals about the economy, about local companies. What do you think's going on? I mean, the big news seems to be, the best good news is 14 years after it was founded, Uber just turned a profit. You know, amazing. And the whole point that struck me was everyone said once the, the lockdown ends, companies like Uber that were delivering food and all that other stuff are going to really hit some hard times. And then there was the announcement of the shortage of drivers. And then all of a sudden, Uber announces positive numbers. They're in the black. I mean, they have $30 billion of debt from the last 13 years, but they actually turned a profit. What's going on there? I mean, I think you have to give leadership, and I mean this generation of leadership, uh, credit because really the buying of Uber Eats and the creating of Uber Eats during the pandemic was a master stroke because they went from, oh, oh, we can't take anyone to work anymore or to the movie theater or to bars or anything like that uh, to, hey, we've got this new vein of money and activity for the driver. So it kept people uh, aware of Uber, it kept the drivers involved, and it kept the money coming in to an extent. And now you still have that. Certainly, we've all gotten used to food delivery uh, on a massive scale. But you also have drivers now taking people to bars and restaurants and to a certain extent work. And I think they've really managed to, uh, you know, they also had a lot of cuts, but they really managed to turn things around and make what for a while was looking like an unviable business, not just a company, and, and you know, Lyft still has its struggles, but an unviable industry all of a sudden look viable again. So I do give them some credit for that. Yeah, apparently this the backstory is around 2016, they took so much advantage of all the loose capital up until the mid, you know, 20-teens that they racked up this enormous debt, like I said, $30 billion dollars. But around 2016, I think the new management came in and they really started doing a lot of belt tightening. 
and that kind of prepped them for this. And then apparently they're out recruiting Lyft in a big way. In the, in the race for drivers in this period of shortage of drivers, Uber's winning by, by a mile. And that seems to be helping too. Yeah, I think they're out everything Lyft. They're just bigger in every way and therefore bigger in the money that comes in and bigger in the market capitalization and all that stuff. And I, I really wonder about Lyft and its um, you know prospects going forward as the smaller, the much smaller company in, in, yeah, in an industry that, that is struggling to stay relevant. And Uber has really done, like you said, a lot of belt tightening, a lot of expanding in the right direction, and they really cleaned things up. And you know it just makes things look even tougher for Lyft going forward. Yeah, I don't hear all the negative stories anymore about evil drivers and you know robberies and all that kind of stuff. That's really quite a death. Did Uber change their policy on payment, or what was the what what was the differentiating factor between Lyft's recruiting efforts and Uber's? Because I don't see one. I accept that they're a bigger, safer company to work for, apparently. And I think that's it. I think you're starting to even hear what we do when we get into a stranger's car to drive somewhere called getting an Uber, right? And I know that trademark things, Xerox worries about that and Google and all that stuff. But there is something to be said for becoming just a dominant player in an industry that doesn't have many players. Becoming a verb. Yeah. A verb, yes. And I think that did some some goodwill for Google back in the day. I think it's doing some goodwill for Uber right now. You know, this story kind of reminded me of two other companies. Remember, Facebook couldn't turn a profit forever. And the big one was Amazon. I mean, I can't tell you how many years I, I was writing about Amazon not being profitable. I think it was a decade or more. And yet, both are giant powerhouses now. Yeah. So, right. In Amazon's case, it, it sort of flipped that lever of, okay, we're not going to spend quite so much on marketing and we're going to start keeping some money. In Facebook's case, remember, they went to mobile and they they hit advertisers and all of a sudden this money came in and they became this, both of them became these cash generators. Right. Uh, so this you're, you're in the midst of covering earnings season, right? It seems, real, like I said, really mixed signals going on. I mean, PayPal, their stock fell 7%, 7% in after-hours trading on Wednesday, not because their numbers weren't good, except for one number that apparently the market didn't like. Their operating margin fell a small amount, and they just got punished by the market. Meanwhile, the rest of the market seems to be in a bull mode. Uh, everybody else is doing well. So, I mean, like Shopify, Shopify thinks about Shopify, sales up 30%. Now, weren't people supposed to go back to stores to shop? No. You know, I mean, we're free again, we're liberated. Well, look, I mean, a couple of things going on here. Software is really, really strong. People are shopping online no matter what. Yeah, they're going back to the stores, but they're also dealing with, granted, much slower and lower inflation. And that's possible. That's very good for the economy. But also, it's possibly keeping people, well, all right, I'm still going to check online before I shop, even though I'm back to the stores. So people are starting to get more discerning because they definitely have two ways to shop. That's good for software. That's good for the online world and the Shopify's of the world. Uh, I think these earnings so far have been really 
positive largely because they haven't come with layoffs like the last couple of batches have. And the stock prices are so high, it's not surprising you're seeing some profit taking. And really, we're talking about every three months. I mean, investors should be taking a longer look at these things. And the economy is clicking. Jobless rate is back really low. Inflation is slow and low. And maybe the Fed will eventually stop raising interest rates and people can get back to feeling good about spending money again uh, while staying in their jobs. I think this is very close to a Goldilocks economy right here. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, it's interesting that uh, some companies, well, well, I think in terms of online shopping, very interesting story a couple of days ago, Bed Bath & Beyond. Remember, they had a million stores across America, went into bankruptcy, disappeared. They already got new ownership, and they're back, and they're going to become an online service. I mean, that's a that's a, it seems like an interesting model of doing doing business in the future. You get in trouble and die, but you still have a user base. Cut overhead by going online, and this is the biggest one I've seen after a bankruptcy. You know, ever attack. And, and I don't know if it's a one-off that, you know, they got in there and what is it, overstock.com taking them over. But I think it also says, look, these big box stores that were in malls may not have much of a future. I mean, some will, but some are really going to struggle and the online world is waiting. But as we've seen, not everyone succeeds online. You have to have a good brand. You have to have good relations with your customers. Bed Bath & Beyond have that. Uh, and so maybe it can make that transition, but not everyone will be able to. And it's a tough time. I think even in a strong economy, it's going to be tough for a lot of brick and mortar stores going forward, I think. You know, your comment about malls, the Wall Street Journal had a big story that almost every mall in America is in trouble right now financially. It's just a paradigm that may not be viable anymore. Partly because people don't want to be in giant crowds, I think. I also think it's just... It's a weird type of anachronism from the 1970s and 80s. Do you huh. see that? I mean, that's a major mall building around here, you know, in the valley. It, it was, is that, is it too late? I mean, did they build, you know, Santana Row and all those other places? Are they at the end of the curve? It, it depends. I think, you know, you see some of these in Santana Row, I'd throw in them as really vibrant places where you do see a lot of people shopping and dining and even, you know, shopping for cars. Uh, and yet at the same time, you know, I have teens, they'll walk through the mall and enjoy it, maybe get a snack, maybe see a movie, then come home and order clothes online. And so, uh, you know, it becomes kind of a social thing instead of a commerce thing. Uh, so they are serving a purpose. But look, two cities, 45 minutes apart, San Francisco shuts down its Westfield, you know, Westgate Mall. San Jose's is up like 60% year to year. So it really depends where the money is, where the action is. And so the mall isn't completely dead, but it is struggling. Even as people like to go out and shop, it's clear that they're dropping their credit cards online for the most part. Okay, some more good news. Uh, U.S. companies added 324,000 jobs in July. Good. Uh, gain in private payrolls exceeded all estimates and wage growth well, it's still growing, but it started slowing down. That's the good news. Bad news. Uh, the uh, company um, Fitch, which helps define the, the debt rating 
uh, of the finances of the U.S. government, downgraded the U.S. debt from AAA to AA plus, which sounds silly, but that's a big drop. And the stock market reacted by collapsing a little bit. Uh, Fitch said, steady deterioration in standards of governments, governance, mostly overspending by the government, the level of government debt. Apparently, our debt, our debt maintenance is now more than we spend on the military. So, I mean, we're carrying a huge amount of debt, and this downgrading is, is kind of a body blow. What do you think? I mean, it's, it's just, are we heading into good times? I mean, it seemed like we had turned a corner and things are getting better, and yet we're getting these kind of nasty little reminders that maybe we're not entirely out of the woods yet. I mean, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And I think this downgrade was met with a lot of surprise. I believe the last time we were downgraded, it was also because of a debt ceiling thing. And that's going to be a controversy. It just is. I mean, the political parties are fighting. They're far apart. One is going to hold the debt ceiling over the other. And that's how this is going to go. Does that mean our credit rating should go down? I don't know. I think the reason it was a surprise is because of everything else you said. Jobs up, unemployment down, salaries strong, earnings are good. I mean, what else does an agency want to see in an overall economy? And to lower the credit rating now felt like a surprise. But for that debt ceiling thing, yeah, we're kind of carrying a ton of debt and will, for the foreseeable future, carry a ton of debt. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's not a surprise if that debt ceiling comes into play. But as far as the overall economy, uh, I mean, America's looking pretty good right now. Yeah, especially compared to the rest of the world, which is not looking really good right now. Okay, when do the big boys come out with their financials? Well, some already have. You're about to get uh, Amazon and Apple, and it's so far looking pretty good. But again, these valuations, these stock valuations are so high. You wonder if some people are going to say, even in the, and I think they are, even in the, the you know, light of good earnings, good to great earnings, people are still saying, okay, but I've got to take some money off the table. Uh, right. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that going forward. But so far, these numbers are strong. And for the most part, there's still more companies to go. But for the most part, we've seen the numbers come in without new announcements of layoffs. And that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. It, but people got to be asking, how much higher can some of these things go? Yes. And let's get out before they start to, gravity reasserts itself. Right. Okay. Um, you'll enjoy this because you know how we both feel about uh, Meta Facebook. This must have killed them. They have, Meta has offered to seek consent from its European users on whether they want to see ads on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, directed ads, using the, the data that Meta has stolen from them to help determine what ads to throw at them. They now have to give consent, according to, uh, I guess Europe is really, European commissions just laying, coming down hard on Meta. Uh, this kind of goes against the whole philosophy of Meta, you know, which is take all your information and feed it back to you to make money off of you. Right, but it doesn't go against the, the philosophy of the European Union, which is A, we don't like Facebook, and B, <laughs> we'd like to shut down Facebook. Um, I mean, the EU is just tough. Did, they, did you mention they don't like Facebook? <laughs> I mean, I have been on Good Morning Britain being asked to defend Facebook because every other guest that's going to come on 
hates it so much. And I've been asked by Pierce Morgan, hey, you're in the Silicon Valley. Can you defend Facebook? And I'm like, that's really interesting, sir, because my job is to point out the flaws in Facebook. But yeah, I mean, I get it. The EU just really, really dislikes Facebook and the gathering of information and the way it does it, et cetera, et cetera. That said, that plus Apple and the iPhones move to say, hey, do you want to be tracked by Facebook? And we can say no, uh, was really supposed to be the death knell to Facebook and Meta. And remember, at the start of the year, the stock traded about 200% lower than it is now. I mean, it was about 90 bucks yeah. a year. It recently went over 300. Uh, so Meta is dealing with this and still making a lot of cash, which is impressive. I, I don't know. I thought it was going to be fatal. It turned out to be like a speed bump. Yeah, I guess the, the size of this thing is just that big. And the EU is not. I mean, I don't know. I'm just surprised because there are so many users over there. Maybe Meta is compromising and saying, okay, well, ask your permission, but we're still going to then take your stuff. I, I just don't know. But advertisers still seem to be happy being on Facebook and Instagram. And remember, they're not happy. They haven't been for a while on Twitter. So maybe Facebook is positioning itself as the game in town other than TikTok and saying, hey, there's only so many online strong places to put your ads right now. Stay with us and maybe we won't give you as much information, but we'll still make you happy. And somehow they've managed to make everybody stick around. I'll credit it to them, I guess. <laughs> okay. As long as you, you mentioned Twitter, we got to mention the sign. We got to discuss that. Okay, so they, we talked about it last week. They pulled down the Twitter sign, and now they put X up on the roof. And I thought, and all the neighbors are complaining. And I thought, oh, how many illuminated signs are there Are there in San Francisco? I mean, why would this make a difference? Then I saw a clip. Actually, it was, it was on Twitter. And, oh, my God, that would be hard to live next to. It's like fireworks going off every four seconds yeah somebody's got to give something's got to give on that i can't believe you know elon's going to get away with that side i mean just turn off the explosions and just make it glow with neon how hard is that to do well it turns out something did give uh earlier this week indeed twitter had to take down the big x and they did and it's an interesting dance that the city and twitter are doing twitter and Musk is tweeting out, we're going to stay in San Francisco. We love San Francisco, even as he is trying to stay one step ahead of the city inspectors and denying them access to the headquarters, which I didn't even know is a thing. Meanwhile, London Breed, San Francisco's mayor, desperate to not see yet another business leave town and saying, hey, we want to come to an agreement. We want to make peace. And so there is this dance of friendliness back and forth. At the same time, Musk clearly wanted to show, hey, I can put a giant glowing X on my building and then take it down. Right now, the last I saw, and I try to check this whenever I'm up there, you know, every couple of days, the sign is gone. The big X is gone. The white sign that had Twitter is just painted over white. So something's going to go somewhere. Uh, and maybe by the time you all are listening to this, there is yet another move to identify that building. But really, for all of the, hey, we're done with the bird, we're done with Twitter, we're all X now, the only logo on that entire building right now is a blue bird that's still there somehow. And I, I don't know what's going to be next, but um, this is just a fun little drama that all of Market Street has been able to take part in as it happens. I got to ask you, since you're up there all the time, I think you're going up there after this. 
I haven't been, like most people in the South Bay, I stay away from the city now. How bad, I see pictures and video of, go, of Marcus Street and a little bit of Mission, where Twitter is, and it's like, it's a ghost town. I mean, is Twitter the only thing still, any business still standing up there? No, I mean, there are some businesses in the area, but really the workers haven't come back, and then that has caused some of those ancillary businesses, your cafes, your bars, your coffee shops, just shut down because they just don't have the foot traffic. And even Twitter itself is, you know, a, a tiny, tiny percentage in terms of workers that it was. And so, yeah, that area, which was just thriving. The last time I was up there a couple of days ago to watch the whole X coming down drama, I remember being right in front of Twitter headquarters and seeing that the X was being taken down and all these things were happening. And I'm like, I got to go a couple of blocks away to get a shot with my phone because I'm too close to the building. And usually that meant, you know, waiting for a lot of cars to go by and dodging people and trying to get it. It was really quiet. I could just walk right across the street and then across another street and not be in anybody's way. It's much, much quieter. And that is not good for downtown business there. Yeah, somebody who could actually remember San Francisco in the 60s. That's just my boggling to me. Okay, um, other, other bit of news. Korean researchers claim they've come up with a root temperature superconductor. Now, there's a lot of skepticism out there. And as journalists, how many times have we covered the great new announcement that we have a room temperature superconductor and now we're going to have magnetic levitation and take a train from New York to L.A. in 20 minutes? I hesitate to even, I hesitate to even put this in here today, but they're making the claim they've got it. They've got a couple of photographs of levitating, you know, pieces of metal and that sort of thing. My only advice is is be very skeptical about this. Everybody's buying stock in the super superconducting companies right now. They're having a boom, you know, two or three hundred percent stock price increases. Do you have the same doubts? Well, look, here's the thing. Um, I am not qualified to have doubts of this. And it's funny that you mentioned this because, you know, a lot of people in the scientific community that are really smart see me on television or whatever on a podcast talking tech and they think hey you'll understand this and they're sending me these articles about this and they're saying well what do you think of this and i'm reading the articles and trying to go down the rabbit hole and just wishing i took more science classes i'm a moron michael you know like it's just not happening here and i feel like i felt recently when i saw oppenheimer like hey that was really cool and, you know, you're walking out and people are like, wow, is this accurate? And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, historically, stuff happened, but what do I know? I'm a moron and I don't know science. And that's why I do what I do. And this whole thing has been humbling to read about. I'm always fascinated with what they're doing. You know, the linear accelerator is just up the road. And they're fascinating people. I love to talk with them. But look, and I tell people this all the time, I get paid to be the stupidest person in any room I walk into in Silicon she asks better questions. Huh. Well, I'm reading about this stuff in order to learn some questions to ask, but I humbly turn over the, I don't know, is this accurately floating this piece of metal, you know, stuff to those who, who studied it. It is fascinating, and I love the excitement surrounding this, but I am just not qualified to even comment on it other than to say, wow, cool, something's floating, you know. <laughs> 
I give better odds to controlled fusion coming out of Lawrence Livermore, remember that announcement last year, than I do to supercomputers, superconductor, room temperature superconducting coming out of this Korean lab. Apparently, these guys, these guys are kind of amateurs. Of course, physicists always say that, you know, because they didn't invent it. But they, they say they, there's not a doesn't seem to be a lot of good record keeping and all that kind of stuff. So, but think about it. We've had in the last year an announcement about fusion, which would save all of the energy problems that we encounter right now, and superconduction, which saves unbelievable quantities of power, transportation, everything, more powerful computers, everything. I mean, we live in a time of miracles, maybe. We'll see. In the next couple of years, we may have a pretty good idea of what this means. But if it means, if it's true, either one of them, it, it's the most revolutionary invention of modern times. No question. Right. And remember what they said up at the linear accelerator. This is happening on a tiny, tiny scale. We would need it to happen on a much larger scale in order to really make a difference. But to do what they've done is an exciting step. And you know, now I'm happy to turn it over to those who know what they're doing to make it a larger step. And and yeah, this is all very exciting, especially given that we need more sources of energy. We need to, you know, fight the, the climate changes, all that stuff um, as we electrify is, is going to help. I just, I don't know how long it's going to take, but it's fascinating. Well, to go full circle back to Oppenheimer, <laughs> isn't that what they were doing in the Manhattan Project, taking very, very tiny subatomic level events and making it really, really big. Well, yeah. I, it can't happen. Right. Well, a lot of people who are saying, you know, the cleanest power or whatever would be nuclear, right? And and they want to see more nuclear power plants. There is a wing of, of you know, the climate world that wants to see that. Uh, and, and again, I, I whatever scientists are, are into, I'm going to follow and be interested in. But well, Fusion's even better because fission has leftover stuff that's kind of nasty. Fusion has no, you know, nothing left over, no waste. So it's even more appealing. Well, we'll see. We're getting into a lot of speculation about stuff that might never happen in anybody's lifetime. Uh, finally, uh, okay, the, did you read this one? China has proposed severe rules for its internet-addicted internet minors. Uh, apparently now teens between 16 and 18 will be restricted to two hours of mobile usage each day, while anyone under 18 will be prevented from accessing the internet between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. Okay, is that fair? Is that draconian? Or is that probably the way it should go? What do you think? Uh, I mean, I, my, by the kids next door, Junior college kids, they were playing video games in their yard, projected on a screen for about eight hours yesterday evening. Yeah. That wouldn't fly under the new Chinese rule. Look, you know, and, and I've dealt with this actually fairly recently in my household because, as you know, I've got teens where, you know, smartphones are everywhere. TikTok is gigantic. This is a discussion every, you know, that parents have all the time. Do we crack down like China? I doubt America would do that. I doubt there could be that ban, but look, an entire state is trying to ban TikTok. So these things are real, and 
I don't know if what China does would would come over to here, but uh, you know, spending so much time online and on these sites is an issue. It's an issue with young people, their development, their confidence, their bullying, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you know, I'm in this the thick of it right now and can't tell you that I have a solution. Um, other than, hey, let's turn the phone off each night at a certain time and focus on whatever it is, schoolwork, you know. That's different from the, the power of the state coming in. Boom. That I don't know. I, you know, I can't imagine that. I can tell you right now, it's not going to work because every video I, of China news I see, everybody's got their phone in their hand walking down on the street. Every kid is sitting in front of a, of a display. They have an entire global industry of, of internet influencers that are in giant skyscrapers in front of screens all day. This is like trying to stop the tide. This is Canute stuff. It's not going to happen. It's a different word. And also, anyone notice that they're clamping down on their own kids using the internet. But on the other hand, you know, Americans, be, be sure to let your kids stay on TikTok at least 10 hours a day. That's kind of China's message to us. It, maybe they won't have to build that giant navy. They'll just end up with an entire population of, you know, glazed-eyed teenagers in America and just walk over us that way. <laughs> okay, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage, as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.